0: And uh, does everybody have a set of notes from last week? Because I didn't get quite through everything last week. And uh, everybody else have one? Okay, yeah. So I'm really hoping I don't get totally bored with this before we get done. Because uh, you keep working ahead, but to work ahead, you got to cover everything you've already covered. So <clears throat> I've gone over everything about 13 times already. So, Hallelujah. Well, I'm not sure where we were, um, but I think we're going to start at about verse 13 tonight. And so I'm going to start in verse 9. We're going to start reading there, and then we'll, we'll pick up on verse 13. And it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom in spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of god and so uh as we increase in the knowledge of god we're gonna uh, we're gonna produce good fruit you know because that's that's the the fruit just grows you know you never uh, you've heard me say this before i've never walked by a apple tree and heard the tree grunt Uh, it just grows you know produces apples uh, because that's what it produces that's the fruit and so that's to be the fruit in our lives as well (coughs) And so we we read on then and it says strengthened with all might according to the glorious power of his uh, uh, for all patience and long suffering with joy giving thanks to the father <clears throat> who is the qualifier who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance in the saints in the light and so we're qualified to be partakers because of what Jesus has done for us. And we walk in the light. And then in the 13th verse, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And so He's removed us from darkness and we're we're now in the light. You know, the, the significance of darkness is that Um, you don't know where you're going. You know, and the nice thing about the light is it reveals everything around us. And so we we walk in the light as He is in the light. And He reveals to us the directions that we're to be going and so forth. And so we're we're children of light. We see the light. Um, You know, when God created the world, He never once rebuked the darkness. He said, Light be, and darkness had to get out of the way. And so, prior to being born again, we had darkness in our life. You know, uh, people that do bad things aren't necessarily bad people, it's, in, it's that they're in the dark, they're in darkness. And when the light is exposed, or when they're exposed to the light, all at once they're able to see clearly. And so it is in our lives. You know, the Word, the Spirit, um, they all make up the light. And so the, the more we bring that into us, the more of the darkness has to go. That's why it's totally different in the dispensation that we're in today, the dispensation of grace rather than um, being in the old covenant under the law. Um, they, were, they were spiritually dead. They were in darkness. And so the law was given to reveal to them that they were in darkness and give them a pattern to follow see, we no longer need that in the same sense because we're in the light. And so the more that we walk in the light, more clearly we see the direction that we're, we're to go. You know, the problem is, is that even though we may be in the light, if we won't expose ourselves to the Word of God, if we won't expose ourselves to the Spirit of God, even though dark, the, the, the light has shown, we're, we're still operating in darkness because we haven't turned the headlights on. And uh, we just need to turn the headlights on. And so, um, verse 14 then, um, the ransom has been paid. I don't know if it's in your notes, there's a letter missing in. Uh, But the ransom has been paid. Jesus paid the price. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption. Not our, it's not we're getting redemption, remember? You know, part of Bible interpretation is you have to look at the context, and along the along with the context, you have to know who he's talking to. Paul, as we've been saying, has been he, he's speaking to or he's writing to the church in Colossae, and so he's speaking to believers, and so this is being spoken to us as believers. If we were unbelievers, this wouldn't have the same. Significance and the same meaning to us. That's why, you know, before I knew Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I pick up the Bible and read it, and it was all German. You know, I may be German, but I don't read German. You know, and, uh, because it was, it, was, it was totally unclear to me, because the, the Spirit wasn't able to interpret to me, because I was, I was dead to it. But many scriptures that I'd read prior to being saved, all at once they had meaning, once I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so here he's speaking to those who are saved, and so he's speaking to us, and he says, to whom we have have redemption, so we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Now the literal of this is, in whom, Uh, the son of his love and of course that's talking of Jesus we have and it's echo own or possess through him we possess I mean that, that gives it a whole different meaning when you think about the fact that we possess redemption but the thing about possessing something is you have to take it there's a lot of people that redemption has been made available to them but they haven't they haven't grasped They haven't taken a hold of it. And so it says, own, possess, redemption, apolotesis, and it means the releasing uh, affected by the payment of the ransom. And so it isn't, we don't have redemption because of what we've done. We have redemption because of the payment for the ransom to purchase us back. And that's what Jesus did for us. And it was, and as it goes on and it says, through His blood, the forgiveness. And that forgiveness means cancellation, remission of sin. So our sins have been canceled. Now, many people have a problem with that. They, they just don't see how that could possibly happen. Well, it can happen through our own ability, but it happened through the blood of Jesus. He completely cleansed us, completely washed it away. He, he canceled out the debt, but there had to be a ransom that was pay, paid. And we'll see this as we, as we go on. You know, people talk about grace and that it's, that it's free. It is free, but it wasn't cheap. It cost Jesus everything. He had to suffer. He had to die. His blood was shed so that you and I might be able to walk free. And so what it's talking about, that ransom, we were held hostage to Satan's kingdom. Remember Adam and Eve, that they fell in the garden? Um, They ate of the fruit that God said, don't eat of this tree for the day that you eat thereof, you're surely going to die. They ate of the tree. But you know, in the natural, they didn't die that day. Adam lived to be, what, 400, 600, I forget how many years old he was. He was an old dude, though. And uh, so he didn't, he didn't die that day, physically. But there was something else that happened that day. He died spiritually. And, you know, <clears throat> we think of death, and we always think of death as being, being the end of something. Death is not the end of something. It it's just simply means separation. And so when man spiritually died, he was, he was separated from God. He no longer had fellowship, intimacy with God. You know, the Bible says to... Um, to uh, that when we live on this earth uh, when we die we'll be in the presence of the Lord so we don't cease to exist what happens is our physical bodies may go into the grave but we're a threefold being our spirit is eternal it'll live on and we determine where we're going to spend that eternity is it going to be in God's presence or the other place you know and so uh, uh, but, but it's you know there, there's this separation and so Jesus came, and there had to be a price that was paid. You see, if God would have just said, it's okay, let's just forget about it, he wouldn't have been a just God. He wouldn't have been just with Satan because Satan legitimately received the kingdom because Adam sold out to him. And so he had to get it back in a legitimate way, and the way that he had to do it was through the ransom. The ransom required death. And so Jesus died. He shed his blood so that you and I might be able to experience the abundant life. Let's drop down there to Roman numeral. I think it's eight in your notes. And it says, the principle of redemption is found in John uh, the eighth chapter. I'm going to read that. In John the eighth chapter, and I'm going to read uh, begin reading the 31st verse. And it says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Um, and the truth shall set you free. I'm a total loss. There we go. Um, they answered him, We are of Abraham's sin and have uh, never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say? Um, you will be made free. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you're free indeed. Why? Because we're sons. We're, we're no longer a slave. We were, a, we're a slave um, to sin. You know, <clears throat> I, I would venture to guess everybody in this room could acknowledge something in their life that they didn't they didn't want to continue in but it was like you just couldn't get free of it it's because we were a slave to it because we were a slave to sin but through Jesus we've been set free and it's through the blood of Jesus and Jesus qualified because he was of the virgin birth you see sin is passed through the generations uh, but the generations weren't passed on to Jesus and so he purchased freedom for each and every one of us. B, there it says, Jesus paid the ransom for our sins on the cross with his blood. In other words, he paid the price for spiritual death. See, it's appointed unto man once to die. If Jesus tarries, every one of us in this room, one day will physically die, physically. But because of Jesus, spiritually, we will live on through all of eternity and we'll spend all of eternity with Him, with Him and the Father. Redemption is a doctrine believers can apply in times of pressure and receive blessing. You know, when pressure comes, what are we going to do? Well, what we ought to do is say, I'm the redeemed of the Lord, and I say so. Oftentimes when somebody, um, they'll, they'll let me know that, They're being attacked by sickness or disease or whatever and ask me to pray for them. And and the first thing that I do is I I make a confession over them and if if they texted me, i text them back. And the first part of my text is, you are the redeemed of the Lord. And I declare it to be so because the scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let me tell you something. If you begin to talk about your redemption, rather than your failings and your shortcomings, What happens is, you begin to believe it. You know, out of the confession of your mouth. You know, what's coming out of your mouth? Is it your shortcomings? Is it your failings? Is it your inabilities? Uh, Or, you talk about what Jesus has done for you because that's what our redemption is. It isn't about me. I can declare that I'm the healed of the Lord even though I've got a physical ailment that's trying to manifest in my life because it's not about me. It's about what Jesus did. And so I am the redeemed of the Lord and I declare it to be so because Jesus purchased it for me through his blood. And so that's what redemption means to each and every one of us. And so with that doctrine, we need to declare it. Redemption was typified or was made, was revealed to some degree in the Old Testament through the blood of animals. Now the animals, the animals couldn't purchased redemption for them, but it looked forward. You got everybody looking forward. You know, I'm always amazed that people want to go back to the old covenant. Now, now I love the old covenant, I love the law, because even as Paul said, if it were not for the law, I would not have known a need for the Savior. So knowing that I was covetous, knowing that I was a liar, knowing that I was a sinner, let me know that I needed a savior, but everything in the old covenant, everything in the Old Testament, is looking towards Jesus. Later on, we're going to be in I think chapter two. <coughs> uh, we're going to be looking, which you know maybe next Christmas when we get there, you know. But but we'll be looking at the festivals. Every one of those festivals, we're looking forward to Jesus. Every one of them, and so. Can we celebrate them today? Sure, if you want to do it historically. But don't do it as, a, as an act of obedience and faith. You know, because Jesus has is, is already completed all that stuff. They were all looking to Jesus. And here we are. We're in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. And everything that we do, we look back to the completed works of Jesus. It's all done, folks. All that we have to do is put our faith and our confidence in the completed works of Jesus. And if we truly believe that Jesus completed it, you know what? It has just a tremendous impact upon our lives. And so Jesus uh, completed the results of redemption. And once again, just let me reiterate this. I put all these scriptures in there so that, not so that we can look them up um, tonight, because if we did that, we, we wouldn't get through the first paragraph because I've got so many scriptures in there. It's so that you can go back and read through it and look them up as proof texts. Because don't ever take my word for it. I will never intentionally lead you astray. You, you get that? Intentionally. My problem is I'm still a man. And as a man, that means I'm subject to err. And so everything that I teach, you ought to to go home, you ought to take notes, you ought to go home and look it up and make sure that that old preacher wasn't deceiving me or leading me down the track. Well, I've done something better for you. I've given you the notes and they're basically the notes that I'm preaching from. And I've given you all the scriptures that I've used in my studies so that you can go back and you can look it up for yourself and see that it is so. Well, there's my uh, Many preaching for tonight. Results of redemption. <clears throat> Galatians 3.13 uh, and 14 are one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. For Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, "Curses every man that hangs upon a tree. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. When somebody tries to speak curse over you, you just look at them and smile and say, I'm the redeemed of the Lord. That means I've been redeemed from the curse. No curse in my life. Well, you know... I think your family has a family curse. Well, maybe we did, but we don't anymore because I'm redeemed from the curse. And therefore, I walk free of any curse that would try to dominate and control my life. And uh, not only am I redeemed from it, but my children are redeemed from it. My grandchildren are redeemed from it. And if Jesus should tarry, my great-grandchildren are redeemed from it. Why? Because of redemption. It's not about me. It's not about what I've done. It's about what Jesus has done. Well, you know, pastor, I want my kids to believe, but you know, I believe that you need to give them a choice. How stupid can you be? My kids have no choice. I am not going to spend eternity without my children. I am not going to spend eternity without my grandchildren. They're gonna—they're all saved, by the way. But if they—if they think they're going to rebel, they've got—they've got another thing coming. It's—it's it's not going to be allowed. Well, pastor, you just. You just need to let them decide for themselves. No! No! Jesus paid the price. And so they're going to heaven with me. We're sanctified. Sanctification. You know, and and so he's cleaning us up. I don't know about you. I, I have an inability to be able to change my life. But Jesus can do it. And as I submit to his word and submit to the Holy Spirit, he works it in my life. Uh, we have been uh, given authority over demonic powers. And I know people don't want to talk about that, but listen to me. Uh, I am more convinced than ever that there are demonic entities that work in the earth. And the reason why I believe that is some of the horrible things that I see people doing to one another, a human being in his right or her right mind would never ever do that. It's gotta be demonically inspired. And so, we're f- but we're free from that. And so when something comes against you to try to pull you in a direction, you have authority in the name of Jesus to resist it and say, no way, Jose. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, I have been free. I will not yield, I will not submit myself through to that because of the completed works of Jesus. And then we have a, we have a guarantee We are guaranteed a resurrected body in Romans um, 8.23. I'll just grab one of those passages and and read it. Romans 8.23. And it says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Remember, we're, we're going to see this too as so we go along here. <clears throat> Jesus was the first fruits. The first. He was the first begotten of the Father. And so where there's a first, there's a second, there's a third, I'm probably a billionth in something. But that's fine with me. I'm one of the number. And it says. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of the body. That's not talking about, you know, our spirit. That's talking about our physical body. You know, I, I, I struggled with this for a while. I, I thought, you know, what do we need a new body for? You know, because you hear testimonies of people in, in heaven and they're able to recognize one another and everything else. And, you know, this, this body is so cumbers- cumbersome and, and it just keeps you from doing what you want to do. What You know, why do we have to have a new body? Why we can't? Because God created us as a threefold being. And so redemption can't be complete until we're complete. And we won't be complete through redemption until we have that that completely new body and so we're going to have a new body we're going to have a resurrected body won't be subject to sickness and disease won't be subject to pain won't have the same limitations that we have today but we will spend eternity with that resurrected body some of you may not be happy about that but you're stuck with it so um, so, uh, the results of redemption but it's all through the blood of Jesus you know the life was the blood. We see that throughout the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. It talks about, you know, that's why the children of Israel, when they um, they ate meat, it had to be kosher. In other words, all the blood had to be drained out of it because the life was in the blood. And that blood represented life. Jesus shed his blood, his life, for you and I, that we might have eternal life. And the significance of the blood was it was, it wasn't that the blood in and of itself was was evil. Now, <clears throat> I don't like my beef to move anyway. So I don't like any, any, any blood in it. I like it, I like it, I like it cooked. You understand what I'm saying? You know, I, I don't want blood. I'd rather have a little bit of char rather than, you know, that, blood flowing around there you know so I, I you know i guess i'm i'm really safe you know the rest of you i don't know you know <laughs> it's not we're not under the same restrictions and regulations because the significance of it was what it pointed to it wasn't just that they weren't supposed to eat blood it was what the blood represented and so we don't have to get under bondage. Well, We've got, we got to be careful that we don't any, eat any blood here. No, that's, that's not what it's about. Jesus took care of all of that upon the cross. And I'm going to allow you to read through the rest of those notes yourself. And uh, we're going to go ahead and go to our, our um, lesson uh, for tonight, um, number four. And when we when we begin to look at this portion of Scripture, verses 15 through 19, especially, um, it's it's a portion of Scripture that doctrinally reveals Jesus to us in such a mighty way. You know, I, I mean, there are those out there that have problems with the Trinity. And if they, would, if they would study this portion of Scripture, it would, it would help clear up a lot of matters in their life. You know, when we, uh, and some of you may not know this, but we before we came here, we started a church in Wapaka, Wisconsin. And, and uh, <clears throat> we'd, we'd bought a house up there, and we are getting settled in and so forth. And, and so one day I came home, and, and Pastor Becky says, Get in there. Says the telephone guy is here and he's driving me nuts. <laughs> and so he was in our bedroom, you know, working on the phone and stuff. So I went in because we actually had to have landlines back then, you know. And so I we went in there. And, and so the guy was, uh, uh, his, his background is United Pentecostal, which was Jesus only. Um, they believed that everything was Jesus, that it, everything was just a different manifestation or just another form of Jesus and so he's in there and he, so we start talking and you know immediately he wanted to inform me how deceived I was because I believed in the Trinity and and so I listened to him for quite a while and he was unteachable and I'm sure he thought I was unteachable and so finally I got a little bit tired of it and so I, I said well can you explain something to me and he says okay I said, if if God is just manifested, is Jesus manifested in three forms, can you explain something to me about Jesus' baptism? Because the Bible says that John the Baptist took him into the water and he baptized him. And after he baptized him, it says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him on the form of the dove and that Father God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So, what happened? Was Jesus a ventriloquist and he threw his voice from heaven or what, you know? And of course, that was the end of our conversation right there, you know? But isn't that the truth? I mean, here we have God in all his his forms, manifesting there um, to, to all humanity to see. You know, as we go through this portion of Scripture, um, we see Christ's deity, but we, we see him as part of the Trinity. We, we see it in, um, in, in Matthew eighteen twenty eight, where he talks about, or twenty eight eighteen, where he's talking about water baptism. You know, and our translations say that we're to be baptized In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But if you go back and you study that in the Greek and you look at it literally, what we're really being told in that portion of Scripture, he's saying, and being baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And the significance of that is, is being baptized into somebody. It means to be immersed into that individual. And to be immersed in somebody, means that you're immersed into everything that that individual represents. And so when you're baptized in the name of the Father, you're baptized into everything, that is represented in the Father. When you're baptized into Jesus, you're baptized into everything that that name, that Jesus, represents. And when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're baptized into everything that the Holy Spirit represents. In in other words, all of that is available to you and alive within you the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I think we, we sell short in what happened to us when we got born again. It was so much more than just getting a a, a ticket to heaven. It was a a guarantee of life here on earth. But you know what? Even if you have a a ticket that guarantees you something, you still have to go in and you have to, what's the word that I'm looking for? Turn it in. Redeem Redeem it. You still have to redeem it. Jesus has done it all for us, but you know what? We still have to recognize what He's done for us. And the way that we do that is through words and through thanksgiving. The words are recognizing what Jesus has done for us, and the thanksgiving is, thank you for doing it for me, for completing that work for me. So anyway, in uh, verse 15, it's speaking of Jesus. It says, He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Reading that in the in the literal, it reads, who is the image, the um, expressed image as a coin. In other words, it's like it's stamped. It can't it can't be removed. It's stamped into us. Who is the Image of the invisible God. In other words, it's embedded in Jesus. He's he's just like God the Father. You want to know what God the Father is like? Look to Jesus. You know, it's it's, it's really interesting. I'm I'm always amazed at this. You know, when Jesus walked upon the earth, he, uh, he claimed, which scripture proves, that he was the Son of God. And so, you know, the accusation against him that the religious people brought against him that took him to the cross was that he was the Son of God. And if you're the Son of God, that means you're God. And and so that was was his claim. Jesus' claim was that he was the Son of God or that he was equal with God. And they, they crucified him over it. And Jesus came for one reason. Jesus came to reveal the Father. That was was his whole goal, his whole purpose, his whole ministry on the earth was to reveal the Father. He revealed the Father as a healer, a provider, a lover. He, He revealed the Father as all those things. Now the Holy Spirit, Jesus is seated at the right hand of Father God on high. And he said, to the disciples. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter, one just exactly like me. Not a, there, there's two words for another uh, in the Greek. One another means another, but different. And the other another means one just exactly the same, or a stamp impression. Jesus was another. In other words, just exactly like the Father. And He revealed Himself as that. So He came to reveal the Father. The Holy Spirit now, because we're in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has come to reveal Jesus so that Jesus can reveal the Father to us. You know, after I was introduced to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, because what the the Holy Spirit does is He works in our life to give us a clear image of who Jesus really is. And when we begin to see that, we get a clear image of who the Father was. Growing up, I saw the Father God as the disciplinarian, the one up in heaven just waiting for me to miss the mark so he could whack me a good one. And so everybody was afraid of the Father. You know, I, I remember I was talking to somebody before church. Oh, I was Omega. Uh, uh, yeah, no, Cindy. Because... Um, um, Chantal was, not Chantel, Charlotte was downstairs with her, and, and uh, she came walking over, running over, and she looked up the stairs, and she says, hi, Pastor Dave, hi, Pastor, and I says, hi, and she says, I just can't wait to get to heaven so that my, my, my family can hear that, because she said, growing up in church, we never talked to the pastor, the father, we were afraid to, and if we had talked to him, I don't know what I would have said anyway, because, but I was just afraid of him, you know. Uh, but, you know, that's how it was with, with the pastor. I, I didn't hear that, and I'm going to ignore it. No, I just I, so, I heard saying, hi, Pastor, babe. It was just darling. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so, too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But, but I, I, you know, the pastor, you're afraid of him because he represented God. And we're afraid of God. Well, pastor, you know, the Bible says fear God. Yeah, it does. It says be in awe of God. We've interpreted it as fear, be in terror of God. It's not what it is. It's to be in awe of God in His magnificence. How wonderful it is. How, how He could love a worm like me. We used to sing that. and You sang that song too, huh? You know, we, used to, you know, we, we, we left church thinking we were a bunch of worms. You know, thank God I'm no longer a worm. I'm a son of the living God. And so the Holy Spirit is here to reveal that. And, but you know what? You begin to talk about the Holy Spirit today. And all of a sudden, the darts start to come at you. Because people don't want to hear that. You know why they don't want to hear it? Because there's a voice telling them they should not hear that because if they hear it, they'll be revealed to Jesus. They'll see Jesus. And if they see Jesus, they'll no longer see Father God as this man God in heaven. What they'll see is a loving Heavenly Father who wants to wrap you in His arms and embrace you because He loves you, not because He's mad at you. 90% 90% of the church... That, I'm just throwing numbers out there. I don't know this for a statistical fact. You know, and so I'm preaching right now. You understand what I'm saying? You know, and, and so, but, but 90% of the, the, the church, I think, thinks God's mad at them. They have no idea that God really loves them. And that Father God wants to have a relationship with Him. God wants to have a relationship with you and me. And so, uh, let me start over again. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, Porticos, firstborn, highest in rank. Jesus is highest in rank. And you know what? We're right there with him. Of every creature of all creation, not of partial creation, all creation, you, <clears throat> you do realize that There is only one that was not created. That's God. Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They were not created. Everything else was created. I don't care what somebody else says. I don't care about any big bang theory. You know, I, I, I could care less about it. You know, maybe it happened. I don't know. I don't even care. If there was, God did it. You know, but, but it's all, yeah, I mean, we, we argue about the stupidest stuff. Uh, anyway, you know, I, 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 I could care less. Call me naive, call me whatever, but one thing I know, I'm saved, and I'm victorious, and I don't have to worry about all this junk. You know, uh, but he, he says that Jesus has been given authority over every created thing. And that same authority has been passed over you and I. So that means every created thing, we have authority over it. That doesn't mean that we get to abuse it and use it any way we want. But it means that we have authority um, to, you know, if if some, you know, whether it's physical or spiritual that comes against us, we have the authority to come against us, to come against it. So Christ, that's... Jesus' name for deity is talking about the Anointed One. Scripture reveals Christ as a member of Trinity. And I already read that out of uh, Matthew 28, and so we won't read another, but you can read some more for yourself. Uh, there are outstanding scriptures dealing with uh, the deity of Christ, talking about Him as being God. Um, he was pre-incarnate. In other words, he, he always existed. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus being crucified before the foundation of the world. Well, how could he do that if he, if he hadn't existed? Because in the heart of God, God knew how he was going to redeem man before man even fell. Well, then why did he create man? Because of love. It wasn't because he wanted to have a, a, a creation to brutalize, which is what some people Think about God. It was because he wanted a creation that would love him, that he could love, and that in return would love him. You know, I I was was thinking about this today, about how many people just, they just just can't grasp the fact that God could love them. It's because they, they look at things in the natural rather than looking at themselves as God sees them. Um, The doctrine of divine decrees is founded in Scripture. In other words, God declared. You know, it says in John 1: it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things that are created were created by Him. In Genesis 1, it says that God said, and it was. In the beginning was the Word. God said. In the beginning was the Word. God said. So Jesus, the Word, spoke things, everything into existence. In creation you see the Trinity. It says that the Spirit hovered over the the darkness or whatever. And so we see the Trinity uh, within creation. And like I said, over and over again, wherever you look in Scripture, you see it. Anyone that doesn't see the Trinity in Scripture is because they don't want to see it. Jesus is the part of the Trinity, the only part of the Trinity that manifests. We we see him in, in the New Covenant. We see him in the New Testament, his ministry and so forth. But as you're reading through the Old Testament, you see over and over again where Jesus manifested himself. Uh, revealed himself, was physically present. Uh, we see it uh, with the, he's often referred to as the angel of the Lord. You remember the story, one of my favorite stories in the Old Covenant, uh, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when Nebuchadnezzar threw him into the fiery furnace, and after he's thrown him in there, Nebuchadnezzar looks in, and he he, he says, did we not throw just three into the fiery furnace? I see a fourth, and he has the form of the Son of Man. This talk, that, that was Jesus who manifested in the presence uh, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and, and saved them. Ja- Jacob, when he, when he wrestled, uh, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. That would have been Jesus. And so we see him manifesting in the Old Testament in, in certain Situations and so why, why do I why do I mention that? Because it's important for us to understand that Jesus didn't begin to exist when he was born in a manger on Christmas morning. He always has been because he was God. Thing you got to remember about eternity. And this this is we, we can say we understand this, but we don't because it's it's too. It's too big for us. It boggles our mind. Eternity is not only endless future. It's endless past. And and God is so big, he knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Now, you tell me you understand that and uh, you're one up on me. (laughs) Because that's that's too big for me to understand, but I know that it's true. How do you know it's true? Because the Bible says so. And I believe the scripture. I believe what he, what he says. The characteristics of God are also ascribed to Jesus. You know, again, in the Old Testament, one of the names that's given for, for, for God is Jehovah. And uh, we're, we're not going to study it now, but um, in the Old Testament where he talks about Jehovah, it's always used in a compound sense. Because Jehovah is descriptive of who God is. And so we we have, you know, going from the Hebrew into the Greek, we have we have Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. We have Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace. We have Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. Jehovah Raka, the Lord my Shepherd, Jehovah Medkadesh, the Lord my sanctifier. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord my redeemer. You know, and so he's all of those things. And we see Jesus revealed as our redeemer in all of those things. But that's because those are the qualities of God that he made available to each and every one of us as sons of God. And so, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, he's uh, omniscient, he's, you know, all these things about God, and they're they're in your notes, and you can look them up for yourself. But, But what's important for us to understand about that is that Jesus, in his deity, was all of those things. But the scripture says that he took his deity. He never ceased to be he never ceased to be God, but he, he set aside his deity to become the Son of Man. And so Jesus was all man and is all God. Once again, if you understand that, you're one up on me. All that I know is that it's, that it's true. And so when Jesus walked on the earth, we we see that he was only in one place at one time. Well, God is omnipresent. He can be every place at the same time. That's why, you know, the Holy Spirit, when Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, it's to your advantage. That means for, for every man, woman, and child that is on the face of the earth, they are in the presence of the Holy Spirit right now, in the presence of God, because he's everywhere. Well, Jesus, when he walked on the earth, he wasn't able to do that because he he set aside his deity so that he could be man because it required a man to pay the penalty for man's sin because it was man that sinned. And so Jesus, he, he paid that price. Jesus Christ was the firstborn. The significance of being the firstborn is that under Israeli tradition and law: the firstborn uh, always received favor. They always received the privileges. You know, if you if you read through there, you uh, you as you read through the Old Testament, you you see that when they they passed on their inheritance and so forth, uh, the elder son always got twice as much as as the younger sons, as the younger children. There was there was just privilege that went along with that. You know, the significance when, when Abraham would lay his hands upon his children, or when any of the patri- patriarchs, when they laid their hands on their children, it was always the right hand that they would place on the elder, because there was favor that always went along with that. And so Jesus was the firstborn, and as, as firstborn, there was, there was privilege. But see, we're in Christ. You know, He was the firstborn, and and yes, we all individually receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, but, but we're all in Christ. We're not separated from Christ. We're all in Christ. We corporately are the body of Christ. The body of Christ, Jesus singularly, is the head of that body. And so we corporately, every man, woman, and child that has received Jesus as Lord and Savior, make up his body, and so we're part of that firstborn, and so there's privilege that goes along with being a born-again Christian, because we're part of Christ, we're in Christ. And as so, no weapon, that has been formed against us shall prosper, for the greater one lives within us. And so in Jesus, humanity and deity were united together. And he was able to accomplish what needed to be accomplished so that we might experience the abundant life. Um, So he could say this, Jesus had the two natures, the spiritual nature and the flesh nature, but yet they were united, and uh, he never lost either, but he was able to always be complete in each of those. And the significance of it is that he was able to be the perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine. Um, Jesus served three primary roles. Number one, he was savior. As God, he could not die. He was eternal life. God is eternal life. Uh, And so uh, that's where the man part of it came in. I do believe that Jesus died spiritually. Um, And again, remember, That doesn't mean cease to exist. I mean, it's one of the controversies that a lot of teachers and denominations go through. Did Jesus die spiritually? Well, to me, it depends on what your interpretation of spiritual death is. To me, my interpretation of spiritual death is separation from God. When Jesus was on the cross and everything turned dark, Jesus cried out, And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, and so, now now, you think about this, and this is, it's no wonder Jesus was in such agony. Because for the first time in all of eternity, remember, there is no beginning. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus didn't sense the presence of his Father. All the while that he walked on the earth and he ministered and so forth, he had the presence of the Father with him. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus, how he would go to the mountain. He would would pray to the Father. He would fellowship with the Father. You know, Jesus did not perform a miracle until he was water baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. And after that, Jesus began to perform miracles and so forth because the Holy Spirit was, was working with him. And so, be, remember, he set aside his deities. So, when Jesus turned water into wine, he didn't do that as God. He did it as a man. When Jesus healed the individual with leprosy or when he healed the blind eyes of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, he didn't do that as God. He did that as a man because he had set aside his deity so he did it as a man filled with the holy spirit and that's why he says to you and i that we'll cast out devils we'll lay hands on the sick Uh, if we drink anything deadly it will not harm us Uh, um you know we'll do those things why well i'm not god no but you're filled with the holy spirit and so that's what empowers us it's not We ourselves, it's the Holy Spirit working within us. And that's what Jesus had. And so that's what empowered him to be our Savior. He represented us to God. He was our mediator. Someone who pulls two parties together. But they have to be equal on both parts. So to have a mediation, it can really only happen between two equal parties. That's why all the mediation on the earth, it's fruitless because you're not oftentimes working with equals, Well, Jesus was the the perfect mediator between us and God. And then he was the priest. He represented us to Father God. He went to, oh, mercy sakes alive. Well, we, we stopped at a perfect place. Son of David, I'll be able to remember that next week. How far did I get? Not near as far as I had planned. Well, praise the Lord. So we'll start in verse 16. Um, next week. And so uh, be blessed. Have a great week.